Well, welcome back, everybody, to another installment of the In the Beginning podcast. I'm here with my friend Joe Turk from South Carolina. Uh, he's down there where it's actually still warm. So naturally, uh, actually, I'm going to have to refute that. It was like <laughs> I think it was in the 40s this morning, so it is not oh, warm all the way into the 40s. Wow, that's 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 horrible. I had ice on my porch this morning, and and this strange white stuff glistening off of the completely frozen solid leaves. <laughs> <laughs> feels so bad for your 40 degrees you know when you were living up here 40 degrees didn't even warrant a coat you were still in flip-flops and shorts and a t-shirt <laughs> it's not so different now people it's uh, there's more surprise people down here they'll be like how are you in shorts it's 40 degrees i'm like you have no idea well let's just skip the question yeah you know? yeah it is just- i could use the uh I can use the uh, right up here the the uh, next question uh, yeah because it makes me happy next question let's just let's just go by that one yeah, uh, yeah. So. awesome so we're in our fourth installment of this conversation of I know what the Bible says but and um, so we're looking at different topics and different uh, uh, different issues and today we're tackling one that I'm sure um, is uh, near and dear to a lot of hearts but uh, at the same time <laughs> causes a little controversy in the modern church and that is women in ministry or any position of leadership or authority or things like that. And of course, this has got a long history of uh, of very, very well-established arguments. And they're really well-established on both sides. It's just a matter of where you're going to per- personally fall in this, in this conversation. Um, it's unfortunately been used to divide churches and to cause splits and stuff, which is, it is what it is. It's extremely unfortunate, but you know, there you go. Um, so what we want to do today is we're just going to talk through it and take a look at some of the scriptures around it, get a good idea of the argument, and then hopefully let you guys decide for yourself which direction you want to go in, um, for this. So, uh, yeah, anything you want to say as we start? You know, I think one thing, I'll say two things just kind of to, to have, um, people be aware of, be mindful of as we're going through this, we're going to, you're going to find that it's, it's not cut and dry. It's not just, yes, they can or no, they can't. It's well under this situation and with these circumstances mm-hmm. and based on the portion of this scripture, uh, yeah, maybe they could on a Thursday at 3 PM. <laughs> I mean, it's, it sounds crazy, but, um, you know, one of the themes that we've seen throughout these uh, podcasts, which this is number four for us is, uh, just using scripture to fit your narrative and to fit your uh, desired outcome rather than read it in the whole context. And so, you know, I, I'll, the, the second thing I'll say with that being said is the real important thing always, um, but today especially, is consider the, the big three when you're reading scripture. Uh, number one is what's context is it in? Okay. Number two, in other words, the whole context, not just that one scripture or part of the scripture, right? The whole, absolutely. maybe even not just the whole book. Um, I'm sorry, not the whole chapter, but even the whole book. And so number two, what culture was it written to and for? Because we need to apply that. And then number three, and that's an important one for today, is what audience was it written for? Because the audience is going to make a difference as well so that we know who they were speaking to, why they were speaking it, and, and so on and so forth. And so George is going to break down the, uh, mm-hmm. what I like to call the technical terms of the two camps mm-hmm. and kind of take us in and out of those. Um, you may have not heard these as the actual, like you may have not heard these terms. Um, but these are the, the, um, the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, George? These are, I guess, the technical terms for these two camps. Yeah. And, these are the common theological uh, definitions that are, that are that's, associated that's, with Thank them. you. Yeah. That's much better way of saying it. So, uh, if you'll take us through those, George, and, and kind of break down both sides of those, of those two, um, theological, uh, positions, and then we'll get into it. Yeah. Cause with, with any, with any topic that has very, um, animated and even well established arguments on both sides, it's very important for us to define our terms. Um, you know, like when you're talking about, you know, one of my favorite, favorite conversations is the, the creation evolution. And when people talk about it, they typically never define 
what they mean by creation. They never define what they mean by evolution because there's three definitions of evolution, uh, you know, and there's there's multiple applications. So you have to define specifically what it is you're talking about. And when it comes to this particular argument, it, this is very important to define what you're talking about because you can take this thing and it's very slippery and you can you can run all over the world with this and never actually get to the point that the Bible is talking about because you're too tied up in social issues. So when we start looking at this, some of the questions are, um, does the, so the, one of the big questions is, does the word of God allow... For women to occupy uh, positions of authority, does the Bible allow women to teach the Bible? And does the Bible allow for women to pastor a church, being being the sole main authority? So those are the three real conversations within this argument. And the two major camps that are associated with this are the egalitarian side and the complementarian side. So we need to kind of understand what each of these things means. So the the definitions are long, so I didn't put them up on the slides, but I'm going to read them to you. So the idea of position of authority. So we, does, does the Bible allow women to have a position of authority? It means uh, it's a level within an organization, okay, within an organization where they make the final decision or have final say. Okay, so um, <laughs> it may not be the top, top, but within that organization, there's always going to be levels, and you may be the person that within this group of people, you have the last word. And does, does the Bible allow for this? And some people will say no, some people say absolutely, and we're going we're gonna to argue with this. Something just got really loud. <laughs> uh Oh, I know what it is. My air conditioning kicked on. <laughs> no, it's fine. We'll deal with it. Um, so the second one, um, does uh, does the Bible allow women to teach the Bible? Okay, does it allow women to teach the Bible? Well done. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so what we're talking about there is uh, teaching the Bible is really sim- simple. It is to give instruction to other people in uh, uh in the word of god and its application for our lives that's what it means to teach the bible okay um so you're giving intentional instruction to a group of people on the word of god and its application to our life the the, the third one the pastoring a church and this is to occupy the position of shepherd over a group of believers or what I call a community of faith. Um, and that's how Paul described it throughout, throughout uh, the New Testament. Uh, and when you're leading and developing a congregation in the work of the ministry, discipleship and godly discipline within that faith of faith community, if you're that person, you're that you're the lead over that, you're pastoring a church. So does the Bible allow for that? And there is really good arguments on both sides of these, but we're going to try to understand why each of these arguments fall into these these categories. So the other two is egalitarianism and complementarianism. Now, egalitarianism um, is a it's defined as a belief in human equality, especially in respect to social, political, and econ- economic affairs. Uh, it's also a social philosophy um, that basically advocates for the removal of inequities or inequalities among people. So that's Merriam-Webster's definition. So that's basically equal playing field. And in terms of, of, of uh, ministry, it, it basically means that men and women are equal in all things, that as God has created them, they are equal in all things. They are just as capable, um, just as called, just as, just as functional in all categories. Um, so when it comes to uh, leadership positions within the, within the church, there are none that are better suited for men uh, uh, as opposed to women. Um, there's some problems with that. Um, when it comes to spouses and in marriage, that the marriage is equal. There is no one over another, um, which there's some pretty obvious problems with that. Um, and that the, the marriage is a partnership where the two submit to one another. That's no issue there. Um, but that roles and authorities within ministry and within the church should be based um, solely on ability, not on gender. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Um so complementarianism is actually more misunderstood than egalitarianism. Egalitarianism is very common in the world that we live in because uh, it is it's kind of uh, the normal, you know, when you talk about women's lib and feminism and things like that. The egalitarian position is pretty well established in 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 uh, in society, but the complementarian pos- position is extremely misunderstood uh, when it when it looks at this. So the complementarian position basically means that that. Um, it's not complement, so it's not C O M P L I. 
It's C O M P L E, so complement, not compliment. So it's not like uh, um, uh, it basically it's like when you look at colors in a painting, they complement one another, so they make a more beautiful whole. So you have two things that come together, and when they come together in the right way, when they're blended correctly, they make a more beautiful end result. So that's the idea behind complementarianism, that when when God created man and women, he had roles and responsibilities for each of them. And when we come together and we submit ourselves to those roles, we make a more beautiful whole. Uh, and then when it, when you look at Genesis 1.27, that we are created in the image of God, that when we rightfully fulfill those roles, we more adequately um, show the image of God in that process. So some of the different ideas uh, is that, uh, let's see, um, that uh, masculinity and femininity were created by God as meaningful distinctions, um, indicating different roles that we should embrace, um, um, that men can hold church leadership positions that women shouldn't. Okay, and that's based on the family makeup, uh, because the, uh, the scripture clearly says it meant that the husband is the head of the household, but there's, there's some, there's some issues there, uh, because of the language uh, that we'll get to, uh, that spouses are equally responsible for uh, the family, but the husband is the final authority. Um, that marriage is a partnership of two equals submitting to one another, but it's not equal submission. Because at the end of the day, if the two can't agree, the husband gets the last word because the husband has the responsibility. So that's in, that's embedded into that, that argument. Um, and that roles in ministry are first gender based, then ability based. So that's the, the, the rough idea of, of complementarianism. Now there's some pretty serious problems, um, if you go hardline in either direction. You know, you miss out on a lot of different things. Um, so, but some of the things we want to make sure that we avoid within this particular discussion is that no matter which side you fall on, this is not a salvation issue. You know, so if you allow, if you're in a church that allows women to speak from the pulpit, um, you know, you're, and, and you have no problem with that. It's not like your salvation is now void and you're going to hell because you listen to a woman, you know, exposit the, uh, the word of God. It's not the way that's going to work. Um, and at the same time, if you're in a church that doesn't allow women up in the pulpit and doesn't allow women to have those positions, that doesn't mean you're better off. It doesn't mean you're more righteous. And it doesn't mean, uh, it also doesn't mean you're either in hell or out of, uh, in heaven or out of heaven. It, it, these are completely, um, human issues. Now, some people will say, no, 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 it's about the authority of the word of God. Okay. Um, but as we're going to show you today, you can get very clear arguments on both sides of this. Um, I think that the Bible leans, right. yeah, the Bible leans more solidly in a different, in, in, in one direction as opposed to the other. I think, uh, in my own personal opinion, I believe the complementarian position, I think is more well rooted in scripture. However, it's not clearly the only path because God violates that in multiple ways himself. So, uh, if, uh, you know, God is not going to give us a standard that he does not apply to himself and he does not make special, ex- right. special exemptions for himself within that process either. You know, That's so, right. and you know, if I can interject, yeah. um, what I want to say is that, you know, a person can make a good argument for either of those positions and they do. One of them does sound a little bit legitimate for lack of a better word. The trouble is what you just said. And that's really what I wanted to interject is that um, God really doesn't ever contradict himself. It's that we've interpreted it wrong because it's impossible for God to contradict himself and God will not go against his own word, nor will he go against um, what he puts in place or what he decrees, or what he declares, or what he um, asks or causes someone to do. So in these situations, like we've talked about in the last podcast, um, it's a matter of, okay, well, if God doesn't contradict himself, then we have to look deeper at this definition and what people are saying. So yeah. that's just what I wanted to, to yeah, say. Well, ex- exactly, because it's when we see God using... When we see God using both genders in very very um, similar ways, we, we have to ask why are we limiting, you know, uh, limiting one gender over another in, in different roles, and are those limitations universal or are they bound to a specific situation? You know, uh, so we're gonna we're gonna kind of explore this here a, a little bit. Um, so we also want to make sure that this isn't something that's just brushed off or ignored, because 
whatever, you know, if it was just, you know what, I don't care what, what those, I don't care what those crazy, you know, most people throw this out to Amish and Mennonite, uh, but there's other groups that, that believe the same thing. Um, you know, Southern Baptists are very complementarian in their, uh, in their, in their thinking, which are most Baptist churches are. Um, you know, and there's quite a few Pentecostal churches that also are hardcore. Uh, with this, you know, to to the point where not only are women in submission, but you got to wear certain types of clothes and things like that. It's a pretty common thing that we see, and you know, and yes. it's easy to look down on people for those decisions. But at the same time, we wouldn't want them to look down on us for our decisions, you know. So we should at least strive to understand why they are where they are and how they got there. That way, we can at least coexist with them because at the end of the day. Even a church that is hard-nosed complementarian still wants to reach people for the gospel, and a church that is, you know, hardline egalitarian still wants to reach people for the gospel. So if we can come together at least on those things, then then we can 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 try to at least, um, you know, get in and and try to you know throw stones from inside the house, so to speak. You know, <laughs> it just it just works out a little bit better. Um, so um, so here's some things that we wanna we wanna do. Uh, we want to take a look at um, some of the scriptures that look uh, at either side and kind of examine what they uh, what they what they do and how they how they work. But you know, let's when you start thinking about um, women in ministry, uh, some what are some of the people that naturally come to mind for for you, Deborah? I mean, uh, yep. I mean, uh, modern examples. Yeah. We'll, oh, we'll, we'll, oh, def- we'll definitely get oh. to Deborah. Yeah. Um, well, you know, you like, you know, you a very popular one is Joyce Meyer. You know, you see Joyce Meyer, yep. and Joyce Meyer is unique too because her husband's heavily involved, yep. supporting her and yep. and really f- helping her fulfill her calling in the Lord. Um, you see um, another one that's um, spoke at a number of the churches that um, I've been a part of. Oh, I say a number of the churches I've been involved really in two, um, two down here. Um, Cindy Jacobs is another one, and her husband's very much the same thing. He he comes up a lot of times. They'll come up and speak together for you know five or ten minutes, and then he'll go sit down and she'll deliver the message. And so he's again supporting her in um, the gift she has. Uh, what's interesting is that I can name some that have ministries or or kind of you know do evangelistic outreaches like them mm-hmm. but I don't see a lot of them as a uh pastor or leading a, a a church. Joyce Myers does have a church um but you know you don't you don't see that as much but those are the two and and again one of them Joyce Myers is very popular and Cindy Jacobs has just happened to has spoken a number of times at the at the churches I've been a part of. So Yep, Pris- Priscilla Schreier is another one. Um you know there's uh, there, there's quite a few that are, that are around. And one of the things that, that comes up is whether or not women should have that absolute position. And some of the, um, some of the scriptures that people look at in reference to these, let me see if I can find ones specifically. Um, so, uh, yeah, so here you go. Uh, therefore, just as church is subjected to Christ, so let wives be subject to their own husbands and everything. So um, it kind of puts men in a, in a specific spot. But something I want to note here, this is specifically related to marriage. You know, the common, common verse used to support the complementarian view, uh, which is right in what it's doing because it's this is within the confines of marriage. Um, so it's let wives be subject, in a specific language, to their own husband. Right? To their own husband yeah. and everything. So not women and men. So we want to make sure that's clear. Um, how about Titus 2-4? Uh, they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children. So older women instructing the young, younger women to love their husbands and to love their children. So they're, we're, we're, we're definitely seeing a willful level of submission, but right now it's in the context of marriage and marriage alone. Um, so far, uh, we'll see some other things where it gives you the idea that it's still different. So, wives likewise be submissive to your own husband, that even if some do not obey the word without the word, uh, may be won by the conduct of their wives. This shows you mm-hmm. the power of a wife who is not only submitted to their husband, but submitted to an unbelieving mm-hmm. husband. Yes. That's yes. important. That in the context of marriage, God doesn't care if you're equally yoked or not. You got into that, you got into that boat. Get comfortable. You're still required to submit to your husband. So that. Well, and if we can, if we can add to this too, George, just because right now I'm sure people are being like, "What do you mean submit? I, I, this is, you know, this is the 2000s." And yeah. It, 
you know, I did a message on this. Um, um, I actually did. I actually did a message for my youngest brother's wedding, and George helped me with that message, um, where we talked about wives submit to your husbands, and it's submitting to being loved. You know, uh, you know, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Well, what did Christ do for the church? Up to and including sacrificed himself for the church and for salvation or, or for a path to salvation. Um, and so, you know, submission, it's interesting the context of this when we translate it into the English language because submission has a negative connotation a lot of times. Yeah. Uh, but it's submitting to being loved. It's submitting to being cared for. It's submitting right. to being um, to being appreciated and, and, and loved in the way that Christ loved us. And right. so it's a beautiful picture. It's yep. not, I'm the husband, I get to I get to tell you what to do. I'm the husband. I get to rule with an iron fist. And so unfortunately, and I just wanted to interject this, is that even that mentality and that context that they take it out of mm-hmm. causes it to permeate other areas where they see, they go, see, it's, you know, it's, it's men should be in leadership. And so it's, I think it was, I think it's important to, 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 to yeah. make that note. Well, and it's important also to remember that we're talking about a, uh, we're talking about, a, a type of writing and a period of time very, very different from where we are right now. You know, there was no society back then, realistically, that gave equality to women. It, it didn't exist. You know, women were the were the lower. You married someone not because not you'd hope to marry for love, but it wasn't necessary. You married because you needed you needed a partner to raise your children, to take care of your home, and to do you know maybe help run the business and things like that. Love hopefully happened, but it was more often that you had to, uh, you know, you got married for the benefit of your family and you hope you fell in love with the person at some point in time along the way. Cause you may not have been the only wife at the same time, you know, so there's this, there's this process and Christ changes those things where we're not just, you know, in this process of, of submission. It's a willful submission where we, we, we lay ourselves down for one another. And at the same time, we have to remember that all the way back in Genesis chapter three, the submission of the wife to the husband is part of the curse. You know, part of the, part of the judgment on women is that you will want to lord over your husband, but he will have dominion. He will have lordship over you. You know, and that's a, that's not just a curse on women. It's also a curse on men because as Eve, uh, uh, brought the fruit to Adam, Adam also failed to protect Eve. So if you look at both sides of the curse, women have to be submitted, submissive to the one who is supposed to be protecting them. So there's, there's this process, just like you were saying, you submit to being loved. Just as Christ loved us, he gave himself, protected us, guided us, uh, because, you know, we, uh, he's not responsible for us as much as we are for our home, but as the husbands, we are responsible before the Lord for what happens in our homes. So therefore, because we are the ones that have to give an account, we are the ones that have the authority. And that's not, that's not, you know, oh, look, I have the authority. It's like, oh crap, <laughs> I have, I, I have to do this because God is going to hold me accountable whether I like it or not. And that's I like, right. I like to go back to the excuse that Adam used, you know, look, it was this woman and God was like, uh, no, no, uh, you know, and, and we like to do the same thing. You know, you, can you imagine standing before God and going, oh Lord, uh, I know the house was a mess. My kids were horrible and, you know, and three of my kids ended up serial killers, but really it was my wife's fault. Uh, and God's going to say, uh, no, no, it wasn't your wife's fault. You, you failed to do your, to do your job as a husband, which is a scary thing. Um, so we have all this, 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 uh, uh, this, this stuff. And most of the time when I find a passage in scripture that deals with the submission of a woman and the, the, the headship of, of, of a man, it is in the context of marriage. Which is a universal thing. It's very clear and very, very, um, very consistent within the, within the, the area of scripture. But occasionally we do find other sections of scripture that they're not connected to, to, to marriage and we have to understand those. And the, and the first, the, uh, the one that easiest one to understand is this one, First Timothy 2. It says, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. Uh, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over man, but to be in silence. Now, this gets used a lot by the complementarian side because it is clearly 
not in the context of marriage. It's talking about men and women. And so you have to deal with this. And one of the things that is important is to understand what's going on in the places where these things are being written and sent to. So this particular section of scripture is being sent to Timothy when he's in Ephesus. Now, here's an interesting point. Now, this is, this is not, uh, this is not the solid, you know, nail in the coffin kind of a thing, but this is very important to understand that the only sections of scripture that deal with women particularly sub- being submissive and quiet, there's only a couple. Now, both of those cities had temples, I believe it was Diana. I might get the name wrong, but, um, and they were, and what was happening was, cause this is pretty well documented, is that temple prostitutes, who were also temple priestesses, were getting saved and coming out of that life of immorality and everything, but they were teachers of their faith. So they start coming to the churches, kind of having the same mindset. And so they're bringing this level of authority that they had within the community, within the church, but they're not submitting to the teaching. They're not learning, and and they're they're not learning what it means to be a godly woman, to be to, to be a godly wife, and, to, and to, to to follow to follow Christ in a in a in a moral sense. So it's only to the cities that had that problem that Paul writes these instructions. Now I find that very interesting because remember the Bible is not simply translated language. The Bible is also translated culture. So sure. it's not just a language that's 2,000 years old that isn't used today. It's also a culture that's that's 2,000 years old, that it's not a Western culture that we live in. It is an Eastern culture that they lived in. So things are very, very different. And one of the things, yes. yeah, one of the, one of the concepts that you find in uh, a lot of ancient writings is, um, and this, this made me laugh for, laugh the first time I, I, I heard about it. It was the always sometimes mentality. <laughs> And it's that you say always and you do sometimes. And you kind of go, what is, you know, this, this seems like, this seems wrong. You know, this this just seems wrong. But when you look at scripture, you have to balance two things. Is what I am seeing the same as what I am reading? So are there examples that do not line up with what I'm reading? Because you have to allow scripture to to interpret scripture. And so when you, when you look at when Paul says, I never allow a woman to teach, you have to ask the question, is that always the case? And no, it's not. So, and, and, it, and, it, and it goes back to, again, uh, context, culture, and audience. Because like you just said, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, George, but there's been a lot of the how women should dress and the different coverings they should have also directly yeah. related to the way that temple prostitutes dressed and yes. wanting the women to set themselves apart, right? Don't, don't look like this because you're causing people to be confused or to think it's okay. And, and not to go down that full path, you've done some great right. teaching on on you know yeah. appropriate appropriate attire versus you know um, what you're doing something more religiously but yep. it's a great example to say there was a specific reason there and it wasn't a blanket rule it was very yeah. specific to that culture and that audience yeah so well and there's then there's things you have to you have to remember you have to look at um, so we look at this particular view it tends to get looked at in different circles as like this this foundational thing that just can't be let go and you and to 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 go in a different direction is to somehow violate god but here's a couple of things to remember um, this particular topic is found nowhere in the gospels jesus never spoke on this topic I can't think of another topic that Jesus didn't speak on, even tithing, and we're going to get to that at some point in time, um, that Jesus actually spoke on that topic. Um, but Jesus never brought this up. And in fact, Jesus had women with him involved in the ministry team the entire time. Now, it's not uncommon for women to not be mentioned in ancient writings because they're constantly not mentioned. Even something as, as simple as the feeding of the 5,000, it was a certain number of men and women and children. So it's not uncommon to see women not counted in something. This was a, this was a normal part of history and writing in the, in, in the first century. It's just, it's just the, the way that it was. But the question that kind of, that keeps coming back is, do we see examples in scripture where this is not, uh, this is not applied? So do we see constant and consistent examples of women, Old Testament and New Testament, because that, because they have to balance. 
Do we see examples where God is using women in significant ways the same way he would use men? And the answer to that is yes. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna go through some of these and, and I'll get you to, uh, to, to, uh, uh, comment on these. Um, so as we go. So the first one that I want to deal with is one that's very, very common. And this, this tends to draw, uh, uh, draw attention, shall we, shall we say. So can women occupy places of authority in the church? That's what we were talking about before. Levels of authority. Mm-hmm. So one of those levels of authority is deacon, right? That is a that is a level of authority in the church where clearly you have a position over other people, including men, right? So we have this in Romans sixteen one. It says, "I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who was a servant of the church in uh, Centuria." So I put this translation up specifically because it uses the word servant. Now, most other translations, well, not, not most, but quite a few of them use the word deacon in there, who is a deacon of the church. Now, a lot of translations put servant in because they, they say, well, obviously she couldn't have been a deacon because they wouldn't have allowed a woman to occupy that position. Okay, so the only way to argue with this is to actually go back to the original language. So here is that same translation this is from the uh logos bible software so the you got the 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 section above it then you have actually the greek breakdown below it and the word servant is uh, uh diakonos okay and it means servant deacon is clear it, it means deacon it is always a, it is it's there as deacon so when you look at it you say oh servant deacon oh okay so maybe it can mean both okay is this same word translated strictly deacon anywhere else by the same person why yes it is wait there's more <laughs> so this is from uh this is from second this is from uh, uh the breakdown in timothy um about the uh uh the the office of deacon it says likewise deacons must be reverent not double tongue given too much wine not greedy for money and look diakonos now notice in the definition, it only says deacon. Why doesn't it say servant deacon? Why doesn't it say servant deacon there? Why did they throw the word servant in there? Because the word can be translated servant, but why did they leave it out of this? And it's because it's a dealing with it's it's dealing with men. So they only added it in the section that dealt with women. Why? It's and it, it comes down to the translation theory of the person doing the work and they don't like the idea of being able to apply the the term deacon to a woman however scripture does and it should be um should be noted that phoebe is the one who brought the letter to the church in rome so paul put what is referred to as his most complete work his most complete work into the hands of a woman who he referred to as a deacon and then she took it up to, 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 to the church in Rome. Um, now, here's a question. Would, uh, uh, would there have been a man tra- uh, traveling with her? Of course there would have. Pro- you know, uh, of course there would have. Why didn't he give it to him? Probably because he wasn't a deacon. So that probably needs to be taken a look at, you know? And it, well, and it, and it goes back to what we've been saying is it, it pays to, um, read with uh, a Bible commentary or read with something that, I mean, you know, even something as, um, I call it basic, but I still use it. I think it's a great resource. The Haley's Bible Handbook oh, yeah. will help you when it comes to culture, when it comes to kind of the setting of the situation, uh, you know, remembering what was going on at that specific time. But it helps with these. Because so, I think some people will be like, "Well, gosh, I can't. Can I ever read any translation or any version of the Bible, you know, and 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 not have to do that?" And and the answer is no. But at the same time, we want to know the culture, we want to know the audience, we want to know the context. So it's only going to illuminate God's word that much more for you. It's only going to increase the revelation. It's only going to give you a better picture of who God is. Yep. what he expects of us and what he calls us to do. And so yep. it's not that we, oh, we got to do this. It's that, you know, hey, it's our to our benefit to do that. Because that's a great example where um, it's very possible that based on the theological position of the translator, 
They chose words that were in line with their, um, their, their, what they believed. And that doesn't make them a bad person. They may be very passionate about what they believe. They just happen to, um, Mm -hmm. use it. It also doesn't make them right at the same time. Right. And the, and the, the multiple applications within the language uh, allow for it. So, and, and we all approach scripture, scripture with our own natural bent. You know, we lean in this direction, so we read in that direction. So it's a, it's a normal, it's a normal thing. But, you know, when you start looking at other things, okay, so do we find other women being used in what we would call the offices of the church? You know, uh, not just, not just pastor, but what about prophet? If a woman is holding the position of prophet, uh, throughout the mm. New Testament, does that put them in a position over men? Why, yes, it does, because they're... George, they're, I, think, I think you have a scripture for that, I don't think we? I might have a scripture for that. So here's, uh, here's, just, uh, here's the first one. Uh, so um, Acts 21.9, now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. F- not one, four. Four daughters who were known to operate in the prophetic. And not uh, married. So they were, they were not yeah, under the covering exactly. of a husband. They were not married. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, how about this? Um, Luke, uh, Luke two, this is the, um, uh, the woman at the temple. Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, a prophetess, the daughter of Faneuil, the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and she had lived, uh, lived with the husband seven years from her virginity. So here we have another person and this is, this is pre cross. Okay. So this is in the nation of Israel. She was, she was referred to as a prophetess. Okay. So, and that is an office, not someone who operates in the prophetic. It's the office of prophet as a woman. That's right. Um, that, that probably should be, uh, um, uh, should be, should be looked at. Um, we're going to get to, uh, uh, to, to Deborah in, in a little bit, but you know, you start looking at other sections. Um, so how about this one? Uh, and it shall come to pass in the last days that God will pour out, uh, will, will pour out of my spirit on all flesh, your sons and your daughters, daughters, daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Uh, let's see. So, and on my servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. So, this is this is this is Acts chapter two. This is this this is the day of Pentecost where we're, we're being reminded that God is telling us that in these days He is going to empower through the Holy Spirit men and women, men and women. Now we may not like that in different ways, but at the end of the day, I didn't write it. I'm just reading it. You know. So we have women women who are prophets. We have women who are known to be, to, to operate in the prophetic. We have people who are women who are prophets from an Old Testament Jewish standpoint. And now we have a promise from God to pour out his spirit on all flesh. Okay. Now, how about, um, let's see. How about, uh, how about this one in Philippians 4 2? I implore, uh, uh, Euodia and I implore whatever that guy's name is to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now listen to this. I urge you also, true companion, help these women. Who labored with me in the gospel? Who labored with me in, in the, the gospel. gospel? With Clement also. Now listen to this. And the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Paul is putting the women in the same category as the men yep. whom he is serving with. So now can we say without a shadow of a doubt that these women were preaching and teaching and, and, and leading and leading men? No, we can't because it's not there. But we also can't say that they didn't because this is a, this is a very inclusive statement and we're being, we're being told help. He says specifically help these women, help these women. So they were sent and they were co-laborers with, with Paul in the Lord. And, uh, now if you look at, uh, Acts 18, 26, Apollos, right? Apollos, when they first encountered him, it says, so he began to speak boldly in the synagogue when Aquila, that's a girl, uh, no, that's a guy, and Priscilla heard him. They, meaning both of them, took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So Apollos, the great 
the great you know teacher and, and, and New Testament preacher, had an inaccurate gospel. He was missing pieces, basically. So they heard him, and they recognized his passion, they could see the calling on his life, and they both pulled him aside, and the woman cr- corrected the man. And, and it's and, easy in these situations to say what happens is once you get in that line of thought yep. that no the woman the woman doesn't uh, occupy one of the offices the woman doesn't occupy a, a, an author a spot of authority it's easy to say in this okay well Aquila and Priscilla heard him they took him aside but it's probably Aquila that did most of the talking yeah the and this is where we stretch quiet. out right and this is where we all oh, well she was supporting him and this is where we start to use <laughs> our own conjecture you know and and use our own our own line of thinking that unfortunately um, really taints the scripture and because we're adding something based on our opinion, our belief that Mm -hmm. isn't there. Well, and at the same time, if you go back to the fact that the scripture is God breathed, right? It's Holy Spirit enabled. um, Then if it was God's intention that women not occupy places of, of authority, why is she named? That's a, that's a question that I, con- I constantly ask. In the first century, you almost never hear about the wife. It's always the husband. The name of the family is always the husband. It's never the wife. Even when counting people that you're feeding in a miracle, you count the men, and then you footnote the women and the children. Why is it that in the New Testament writings, especially dealing with Paul and any, any account of the history of the expansion of the church, women are named specifically. If if this is Holy Spirit inspired, then that means it, it was the intent of the Holy Spirit to specifically do something that was uncommon in that time, which was to name women in prominent positions and in prominent ways throughout the New Testament scriptures. You know, and the other thing that I want to I want to uh, uh, bring up and I I I forgot to I forgot to put put it in my notes, maybe I'll throw it in later. Um, is that when you look at the book of Romans, which again is referred to as Paul's most complete work, it's not in there. He doesn't deal with the subject at all. And he sent, he's sending this so that they may have the complete understanding that they may not be lacking in anything. But this is not in there. But it is in there wherever there's an issue with women coming from immoral backgrounds and basically acting like ungodly women. And that's an important thing to, to note because if you think about 1 Corinthians 7.35, Paul is giving them correction on how women should behave. And he says, and I say this for your own profit, not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper and that you may serve the Lord without distraction. That is a key statement right there because Paul is not is not saying I'm putting a leash on you. He doesn't want to put a leash on them. But what they're doing is improper and out of balance, and it needs to be put back in check. And the only way to do that is to put women in in a in a more submissive role. That doesn't mean they don't have value and don't have uh, 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 something significant to contribute, because we can see Paul allowing women to do it in other places. That's they're, right. They're so out of control. The only thing you can do is is clamp down on a little a, a, a little harder. And it goes to audience again. Exactly. That's the, this isn't a blanket statement. This is a situational statement. Yeah. And we can't take the situation and make it apply as a blanket statement. Um, and, and unfortunately, I mean, we all do that at some point because we think, oh, it's like this. It must be this. But again, we go back to God's not ever going to contradict himself and he's not going to say it one way. And, and then there's an example. The opposite of that, and, yep. and we're gonna we're gonna show some examples of that. Yeah. So we have uh, we have we have the question. Um, uh, let's see. Can women uh, can we uh, can women occupy a place of authority? Now the New Testament and the Old Testament clearly say yes. Because and and it's yep. not that it's not that they state it you know in, in 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 written language, but we see it exemplified in the in the models that God chose to put in His Word. He's showing women as prophetess. He's showing women in positions of authority. Um, so clearly those two things are there. But now we have this third question. Can women pastor a church or have final authority over men? Because Paul does say, I do not allow women to teach or to have authority over men. Now the question is, is that a specific issue within that church and that particular type of situation? Or is that a universal statement for all time for all believers? Now, if it's a universal statement, then God will not violate it. 
that's that's my that's my my opinion, my view, and that's 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 my story, and I'm sticking to it. So absolutely, if, if if you can show a section where God clearly has a woman in absolute authority, then then we can understand by letting Scripture interpret Scripture that Paul is dealing with a unique situation, not a universal concept, and that takes me back to Deborah. Okay, so Deborah is an Old Testament character. This is from the Book of Judges in chapter four. And this is this is a diff, this is a, this this can be uncomfortable for people to read uh, because we miss a lot of things. And I'll, now we know that ju- that Deborah was a judge, okay? But did you know that she was more than that? Or uh, in the nation, she was viewed as more than that. Now watch this. Now Deborah, what's that? What's that next section? A prophetess. That's that's weird. So not just a judge over the nation. Now let's let's keep in mind this is before the kings. This is before the kings. That's right. So the judge the, would have been the final position of authority. Exactly. And they there may have been over a territory, but they were the end of the line when it came to what was going to be declared. So Deborah, not just a judge, but a prophetess, the wife of Lapodoth. It's a horrible name. Um, says was judging Israel at that time. Now remember, this is a historical document. So when they say judging Israel, that means the entire nation understood her authority. Okay. And that needs to be made clear. And that'll become more clear here as we keep reading. Uh, and she would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel, uh, in the mountains of Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. So they would bring things that they needed to be cleared up to her. She would give them the word of the Lord regarding that situation, and they accepted it and moved on. Okay, so um, then she sent and called for Barak, the son of uh, uh, Abinoam, um, from Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded? Okay, so she's given him an out. Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded? Go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor. Take with you 10,000 thousand men of the sons of Natali and the sons of Zebulun. Okay, so she is calling men to war. So it says, and against you I will depl- uh, and against you I will deploy Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude at the river Kishon, and I will deliver him into your hands. And the brave and mighty soldier said, I'll go if you go. You know, all of a sudden this is a youth group altar call. I'll go up if you go up. Um and so, but he says, but if you don't, but if you don't go, yeah, if you, if you don't go, <laughs> I'm not I'm, sure that's, a, I'm not sure that's exactly the context that it's in, but it is pretty good. Uh, yeah. But he says, if you don't, if you, if you go, I'll go. But if you don't go, then I'm not, then I'm not going. And she, so she and, said, yeah, so she yeah, said, keep going, I, keep I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking for the Lord will, uh, will sell Sisera, uh, into the hand of a woman. And, and, uh, we know that, uh, I, I can never remember her name. The lady who drove the, pe- the tent peg through his head. Tent peg through the, through the skull when he came into her tent to, to rest and, yep. and lie down. Yep, but you I, look at this and she's yeah. commanding yeah. the head of the armies, right? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's like she's saying to the general, for lack of a better word, go. And yeah. the general's like, well, I'll, I'm not going to go unless you come with me. Yeah. And she's like, fine. Yeah. I'll go. But guess what? You're not going to get the glory for this battle. You're not going to get the notoriety for this battle. Yeah. It's going to be given to a woman. And so we've got a woman in authority sending out the army. Yeah. We've got a woman in authority declaring what the word of the Lord was and challenging that leader of the army to go out. And then we've got a different woman at the end. Killing the leader of the opposing army yep. and getting the glory for it. Yeah, it was JL. Uh, uh, JL. Yeah, I just quickly JL. looked it up because I felt that stupid. is it's, J- it's JL. Yeah, yeah, and so I mean, here's I mean these aren't these aren't like oh sort of yeah I guess you could interpret yeah. it like these are as clear as clear could be. Yeah. So yeah, and when when she put out the call for ten thousand men, now you, you think about this: war in those days meant death. It's not like today. We're not shooting missiles from, from, from 500 miles away, you know, trying to do things. War was a bunch of guys lined up in two rows running at each other with pointy objects. That was war. So out of these 10,000 men, there were going to be a significant amount that was going to go home in a box um, if they went home at all. And the other ones were going to go home um, cleaved and bloodied. 
you know, and a lot of times during that time when you were cleaved, I mean, that meant you had, you had a significant gash in you and you may not have survived that wound. So all men knew what was always referred to back then as the horrors of war. And the person who called them to this battle was a woman. And now, and uh, now uh, I've heard uh, a number of like hardline complementarians say that, that, um, uh, Deborah was not a real judge because she sat out under the tree and people had to come and find her where a real judge would have gone through the city and been more available. And I find that to be funny because today we have our judges that sit in the Lewis County courthouse and we go to them, right? They don't come out to us. You guys got a problem today? We go to them and if she sat out under this tree between these two cities – Every day and people came to her. That means that everybody in the land knew where to find her. That means her authority and her position and her location were so well known that there was, there was no doubt and they were willing to make the trip to go find her. Now remember, some people had horses and wagons. Most other people walked. So if you had a problem with someone, you may end up walking two, three, four, five hours in the sun to go see her, get a judgment, and then come back. How do we how do we say rightfully that she wasn't a real judge when the Bible refers to her as a judge over Israel? And you've got the fact that the commander of the army is willing to listen to her, but also yep. doesn't want to go out with her. So without her, I'm sorry. Yep. So there's some kind of authority that she clearly has, or yeah. she's got some kind of connection to the Lord in such a way that he feels if she goes with him, there's more success in that battle. And yep. so to say that she doesn't have the the office of the judge, to say that she doesn't have the final authority, and yep. not only that, she was also a prophetess, yep. so she's two, yep. two, um, and so I just, you know, that's, and, and, and again, I'm going to say it again. We've said it a number of times during this podcast. If you're going to interpret it differently and use it out of context so that it fits your narrative and fits your theological, um, belief, you mm-hmm. really have to say, is, am I really doing it? Shouldn't I let go of what I believe? And look at this in a different way. Because yeah. if I have to twist scripture or twist the context or twist the meaning to fit what I believe, then maybe, just maybe, yeah. possibly, you know, allegedly, yeah. maybe what I believe isn't accurate. Yeah. And if I allow myself, if I allow my own pre, uh, predispositions or pre, presuppositions to influence this text, then why can't I allow my presuppositions to influence other texts? And now exactly. all of a sudden things that are not right with God become right with God because I've decided they're right with God. So I'm making up God's mind for him, which is an extremely dangerous thing for people to do. You know, I think the scripture just be allowed to say what it says. And in this context, you can't really get away with trying to argue away the authority that this lady had with her. I, why not just let it be what it is? You know, we might not, you know, like I said, uh, the, 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 uh, uh, modern complementarian may not like the, like the, the, uh, uh, the end result, but at the end of the day, here's what you do. Now, I have heard several people do messages arguing the complementarian side of, side of the view, uh, side of the, side of the, the argument, and they've done a very good job, and they reference people like Deborah, and they, uh, the ones that I've heard, and I'm talking about like Todd Friel, John MacArthur, things like that, uh, people like that, they tend to look at this and they don't argue that she had that authority or that the, uh, the other, the other female prophetesses and, and other teachers didn't have their authority. But the way they categorize it is they were the exception, not the rule. And you know, I, when I, when I first heard it, the, the first, uh, so, someone had uh, actually, um, sh- uh, uh, sent the message to me i listened to it and i was like you know you had me till right there till, till right there because that is ridiculous that is ridiculous for god saying for all eternity and time women shall be subject to men unless i'm doing it wait what women shall not have authority over men unless i give them the authority so <laughs> even if we say they're the exception not the rule why do we say that god's not making that exception today we can't. We, we can't. But we can step back and say, you know what? 
um, culturally, this may not be very, uh, um, very palatable for some men. Um, but historically, we can pretty easily see that this is not an issue for God. This is, this is not an issue that he's going to take up. This is not something that he's going to confine himself to. So why would we, you know, and part of the reason why I think this happens today, and uh, I won't bother naming anybody because I don't want to get anyone in trouble. Um, wow. is that <laughs> when we're, when we're, I think part of the reason why this is still as big of an issue today is that, that not because we have women in places of influence and authority, but because we have women who are in those places who should not be in those places. Their theology, their theology is horrible. Their exposition is horrible. Their view on men, sexuality, about submission, about marriage, about, uh, just about scripture and, and scripture life in general is horrible. It's not that they're not capable or even scripturally allowed to teach. It's that they're horrible. They're no different than a male teacher or someone in that position who's just as bad. So I, I think that because we have this natural – within the church, we have this natural bend away from women in places of authority. But we also see the rise of women who are not just so – when you, when you get women who are teachers and they just – you can tell. You know, they're, they're humble. They just want to do what God has called them to do. They may not even have ever heard that they're, that they're not supposed to be doing it. They're just following the leading of the Spirit in their life. And they're, 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 they're submissive. They're, they're, they're good in their, in their marriage and everything is, is wonderful. And then, and then you have these other women who are not just, I can preach just as good as you. I, I know just as much as you. I'm just as capable and called as you. And by the way, I'll do it in heels. You know, you have, you have that type of woman who isn't just interested in being used by God. They want you to know that they are just as amazing as, as you are. And you have to like somehow submit to this, this, you know, this, this, this ridiculous prideful authority that they have. That's where I think the problem comes. And that's the type of women that I have the issue with. You know, I don't have any issue with the woman teaching as long as they're teaching well. It's when they're not. That becomes, that becomes the issue. Yes. You know, well, it's the same thing. You know, when you find a, uh, a man that's, that's, um, preaching or teaching or evangelizing and is acting like, you know, he's just about the second coming and, you know, you should listen to him and, you know, he's got all this special downloaded information from the Lord. You, in the same way, you, you shut it down. So that's not, that's, that's more, you know, their approach. Uh, but, you know, the other thing I, I look at with, a ministry, a church, an organization that won't let a woman go into a leadership position, won't let a woman be a pastor or a teacher uh, or an apostle or a prophet, is that you're really missing out on what God has called her to. And, you know, so. yeah. first of all, uh, you, you, hopefully she doesn't leave and go somewhere else where she can utilize this calling, utilize this gift, because yeah. the Lord's going to use her if she submits to the Lord. And if she submits to the Lord, just like if a man or woman, it's just, there's no, it's no male or female. It is God's creation submitting to God's calling, using God's giftings for God's yeah. purpose in the furtherment of the kingdom of God. Yeah. And so you you miss out with some of these people that are very, very gifted and that have just an amazing perspective that the Lord has given them that could really help with the edification of the church. And yeah. yet because of your theological position and your views and you um, taking a specific stance, you literally limit that from happening yeah. in the same way that with our last two part on uh, gifts of the spirit, yeah. you know, you're not, if you're not operating in those gifts or you're not allowing those gifts to come forth and be used in your church or your ministry, you're missing out on some very, very gifted people that, that God has planted in your ministry, in your path, in your church that could help edify his people as well. So it's, yeah. it's, 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 this boils down to, you know, let's not, get caught up in, in in theological debates when we can clearly see that there is 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 a clear clear picture of in this podcast topic women in ministry and women in leadership positions where God not only uses them but I mean uses them in 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 powerful and magnificent ways yeah and I think if women were more uh, well received, uh, I, I I used to say, uh, I think, how did I say it? That if God was really serious about winning the entire world to Him, why would He only use half of His workforce? 
You know, <laughs> that's good. Um, that's good. You know, and uh, I understand there has to be a clear, a clear chain of command. You know, and there has to be a clear, clear direction. Um, and I, I, I do see that God does lean towards using men in places of authority, but He also doesn't limit it to, to simply men. So neither should we. Nope. And I think what ends up happening is that because we limit it, um, women who feel called and feel like feel a burden to do something, they because they're not being discipled and developed, they just go out on their own. And they're gonna, and one of the, one of the scariest things in ministry is someone who teaches himself. Because yes. you can, you can talk yourself into anything. You know, if, if I want to believe something, there is no one who can talk, talk me into something horrible better than me. You know, I can, I can make myself believe anything I want. All I gotta do is give myself some time. So when we, when we look at that, if women were just better received and trained, um, but also, taught in the same way what submission looks like, what humility looks like. I actually think you would find more men stepping up to leadership positions. And and uh and this this is gonna this is gonna sound totally sexist, but more women operating in positions where they're uh, uh more honestly even more submissive to their husbands. You know, because one of the things you see in marriage today, you see women who are not submitted to their husbands. And that tends to be problematic because that type of woman well, yeah that type of woman yeah. you you can't put into to a leadership position within the church because they'll eat people alive you know and well, you know i'm going to take i'm going to take unfortunately yeah. i'm going to i'll i'll take uh, uh ladies despite what george says i'll take your side on this no sure. i'm just kidding george you're very accurate no it, what happens is the 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 onus is also on the man because there's men that look at it like, oh, I get to say, I get to do what I want. You're going to listen to me as my wife. And, uh, you know, it's my, my word's the final word and I get to decide and you don't get to say. And unfortunately, men operate their marriage like that. And yep. instead of, hey, I just want to do everything I can do to love you, to care for you, to champion you. Yep. I mean, you look at, uh, it's a Proverbs 31. I mean, uh, the example of the, a woman in yes. Proverbs 31. I mean, she is a businesswoman. She is taking care of her house. She is respected. Yep. And you know what? Her husband's respected. Yep. And it's, it's, it's a great yeah. picture. And, and so I think some of this ownness does, um, fall on the man. And I think you're right, George, in what you said. And though, if you, again, just like scripture, if you take, that little section that you said out of context, it would sound sexist. But what yeah. happens is the submission allows for the understanding of how we all submit to the Lord, yeah. what the bridegroom and bride picture is between God and the church, and how he loves us, what he's done for us, and how much he sacrificed for us in the same way that he calls the husband to just really, your mission is to love your wife and just really, really champion her, take care of her, um, uh, you know, yeah. promote her to be all that she can be. And I do think that there's, unfortunately, some of this is, is you know, we talk about the culture in the Old Testament and in the in the early new, in, uh, times of the New Testament. Some of that's cultural today in America. And that's kind of, or maybe not kind of, all of our fault. Yeah, we, we allow it to exist. You know? We do. And when you put when you put someone with energy and drive and determination in a box, it's either going to kill who they are and they become less of a person or you actually drive them into a worse version of themselves. And I think that's a lot of what we end up seeing in, in um, not just uh, not just uh, uh, women in, in ministry, but women who are kind of man eaters, you know, like how, how dare you, you know, you know, it's like, like oh, OK, and unfortunately, they're out there. You know, they're, they're, they're really out there, but so are men who are afraid of successful women. You know, we've seen, we've seen this. Oh yeah. You know, and we, we, uh, this, and I think this is just a general problem in a lot of church situations. And we've actually talked about this before. You see it a lot where you have a leader, a pastor, and you get people within the church who have callings on their lives and they start to come up in those callings and they start to develop a level of authority in the lives of other people. And that pastor becomes nervous they become worried that people they, are going to see they feel them. threatened 
Exactly. And so they, they knock down this person and they either, and get them out of the way and maybe allow someone to come up who doesn't have, who isn't going to have that kind of authority or is going to be more submissive to, uh, to that person. Never seen that sure. happen before, right? Ever. Um, Never once. Yeah. No. Hmm. Um, where, and with women, it's amplified. <laughs> It is, and they kind of yeah. have this weird excuse in the back of their mind. Oh, it's the women in ministry. I can just knock it down yep. because of that. You know, I'm doing it. I'm doing the right thing in the Lord. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, you know, I think the, the one fortunate part for both of us is that the, the ministry that I'm involved in, um, both locally and, you know, I'm connected with a ministry that is headquarters are in another state. Yep. They, they absolutely go by someone's gifting and calling. And you, you, you listen to the Holy Spirit and you listen to, you see the fruit and the evidence of what God is doing in their life. But they absolutely champion, uh, both women and men mm-hmm. to be able to, uh, operate in those offices, apostle, um, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist. And uh, I know that's your exact mindset in your church as well, George, because we've had a number of conversations where if you see someone with a calling, you'll make a platform for them. You'll make a way for them. You'll get behind them. You'll enable them. You'll support them. You're not going to do it for them. If they feel called and they feel gifted in that area, you're not going to do it for them, but you're going to, you're not only not going to stand your way, you're going to make a way for them to be able to use their gifts. And you know, the other thing I want to say on this is sometimes those leadership positions aren't necessarily standing up and giving a message to a group of people. Those leadership positions are the head of a ministry or the head of an outreach or doing something as a liaison to a community where you're the face of the church or you're the face of the children's ministry. Those leadership positions aren't, you know, we, we tend to look at leadership as, you know, uh, I'm the, the pastor or the associate pastor or something like, or, you know, I'm just the, the one of the deacons or, but those leadership positions, anytime, as you said, George, you end up with authority over a group of people or over, um, you know, a subset of people, uh, those are leadership positions. And, and I think that's, I, I think it's nice that we, you know, we can, we've seen it operate in a, in a very, very, um, fruitful way that really, I mean, you're just so happy you got to hear what they have to say, that you're happy to have them operate and receive what the Lord has gave to them because it absolutely is something that, you know, is beneficial. So Yeah. Well, and it's, 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 I think it's necessary, you know, at the, at the end of the day, I mean, I would, I would hate to think that I was, um, you know, completely set on developing myself for ministry um, and also completely set against someone with a different set of reproductive organs getting to a similar place you know what i mean and even when i'm working with someone i try to do i try to keep um uh you know uh women with women and men with men but sometimes that's just not the way it works you know sometimes just not not how it happens um but that shouldn't diminish the message that that woman is bringing you know and if you can if you can open up the eyes and the hearts and the minds of the people listening then they'll and they can focus on what's being brought, not who's bringing it.